And the fact that I was like talking to investors who were still saying to me that I needed to find a technical co-founder. And they were saying this to the person who had built the web tool they were staring at. Yeah, absolutely. I I very much believe that if you talk to any female founder who is the technical person who built the product, they would have a similar story. Hi, I'm the Reddit Luff. I'm the CEO of Anvil. Anvil is a tool for building full-stack web apps with nothing but Python, and we discover that the people who use it are fascinating. They're interesting people building amazing things. So we started recording some conversations with them. We're calling it Stories from the Workshop. For this episode, I'm talking to a startup founder, Colette Nataf, founder of Lightning AI. Lightning AI is a platform for optimizing your online advertising spend with Facebook, Google, and others. And I talked to Colette about her somewhat unorthodox path to becoming the technical founder of a Silicon Valley startup. I'm Colette. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of Lightning AI. Uh, My story kind of started when I was in a PhD program. I was studying economics and auction theory. uh, And I was about a year and a half in and realized that I could make much more money working in marketing than um, finishing out my PhD and going into the academic world. Uh, So I ended up leaving with my master's. I moved from uh, Maryland out to San Francisco uh, and started Mm -hmm. working for Expedia for like three months, but quickly jumped from there over to a job at a startup um, where I ran user acquisition and also because it was a startup and I was the most competent person in math, did analytics and finance and a whole bunch of other things. What does running user acquisition mean? Um, So user acquisition uh, is typically at B2C companies means that you're using paid advertising to bring in more uh, users who are going to eventually end up paying for your product. And given that every time uh, you're showing an advert on Google or Facebook or whatever, that's just an instant auction between all the people who want to uh, put ads on that page, then a PhD or a master's in auction theory seems like a fairly useful thing to have. Yes. I mean, who knew? I definitely, (laughs) I came from finance, so I had no idea that auctions were going to be so prevalent in advertising. But it turns out that every single ad that you see on the internet is an auction for um, all the advertisers competing just for your eyeballs on your Facebook newsfeed or on your Google search results or anywhere where you see ads. Okay. So... Here you are working for a startup doing acquisition and jack-of-all-trades marketing. How do you end up from there to founding your own? So I, while I was there, I kept having this idea that computers could do more. Um, and I don't know if it was because like, I just ended up you know, wanting to find ways to automate my own job um, or if I was just really into the whole concept of automation and it just kind of resonated with me. But... Uh, I kept looking for companies that had automated components of, of advertising that I knew computers could do. Um, and so in particular, that was not just kind of like optimizing and running A-B tests that humans set up, but actually uh, building out those tests on their own, using AI, using machine learning, and actually like getting better over time as a result of that. So the idea is the computer ought to be able to itself work out, hey, this is a thing I should A-B test and then go A-B test it 
and come back to you with the results rather than waiting for the human to take the initiative. Right, exactly. Because humans can take some time. I mean, I'm literally running an A-B test right now and I've been meaning to turn it off for two days and I just keep forgetting. Uh, that's what humans do we forget we're forgetful we professional in the advertising industry ladies and gentlemen i so (laughs) know that feeling you know it's hard being a human there's a lot of stuff that is out there trying to get your attention so this is kind of what you wanted to happen how do you end up uh from there uh, running a company that i'm guessing does exactly that thing you're describing So I was, uh, yeah, so I was working in in San Francisco. I was doing the Silicon Valley startup life thing. Um, the company I originally worked for got acquired by Microsoft. And so I was like feeling like, you know, anything is possible in the world if you just believe in it enough. We, we need some stirring um, West Wing style music behind you, as you say. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Goodness, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so I uh, so I've been kind of like milling around with this idea, and I was kind of starting to dabble in code and um, start getting some of the processes and the algorithms written, so that um, you know, if and when we decided that this was a good time to start the company, we would be able to do so. Um, I think I was pretty fortunate because in the meantime. I was getting recruited by Facebook and I kept turning them down because I was like, no, I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to start my own thing. Um, And they were finally like, okay, we're going to show you how hard it is to start your own company. And so their way of doing that was by sending me customers. (laughs) Sorry, what? (laughs) Yeah. So literally in Facebook's effort to recruit me, they sent me over consulting contracts um, with really big name companies who were spending millions of dollars in advertising. Uh, and I talked to them and I was like, hey, I want to start up this company. Um, I'll do consulting for you. I'll help you run your Facebook ads. And kind of in exchange, you guys are going to be guinea pigs for my algorithms. So, you know, hopefully this all works well. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a human and I will be monitoring it. So you don't have to worry that it's just the computer running off on its own. Uh, and these people said yes, which was, I mean, looking back on it, incredible that that happened. Um, so I ended up getting my getting my first contracting uh, clients while I still had a real job. Um, and so I think I was really fortunate in that I was able to um, make sure that I was going to have an income and be able to support myself and pay my, San, my crazy San Francisco rent um, before really diving off the deep end into the into the startup world. Oh man, they just handed you that on a plate, didn't they? I mean, it was incredible. Like, there's no way, there's no way that I would have ever been able to work with companies that, that were at that level, spending that much money uh, on my own without the referrals from Facebook. So, I mean, I'm really thankful for for that. That was really, um, that was really lucky that that happens. So, okay, so what did you do with them? What do you do? Obviously, there's some secret sauce in there, but can you give us like a vague outline? <laughs> mm-hmm. So originally, what I was planning on doing, which is a little bit different than we do now, so we would predict out the the lifetime value, the total amount that um, people were going to end up paying, uh, and then based on ha- some parameters given to us by the customer about like how much money they actually wanted to make for every certain sale. Um, we would determine how much they should be paying to acquire the customers uh, and then how much we needed to pay for each individual ad that we were showing. 
Um, so kind of back to the idea of auctions and every advertiser is competing for different eyeballs with other advertisers. Uh, you need to understand how much you're willing to pay for each individual person. And we were making those calculations for the companies. So uh, forgive my ignorance, but don't uh, Facebook and Google already provide tools that purport to do this, right? You you give them your cost per how much I'm willing to pay for a signed up user, tell them when a user signs up, and they will claim to magically do the rest. Yeah, um, there's uh, kind of a few things that happen that are really different for subscription businesses. So um, for Facebook, they're actually only storing data for 28 days. Uh, so um, if your company takes more than 28 days for somebody to make a purchase, either because it's a very expensive item, or it takes a lot of consideration, or even if you have a 30 day free trial, um, all of that data after 28 days is just gone. That doesn't seem enormously helpful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you went into these uh, these companies and started building out uh, some what data processing tools mm-hmm. to predict this from based on what based on user behavior, based on demographics. How do you do it? Uh, yeah, so it's based off of anything that you can define as an advertising segment in Facebook. So it, it is demographics. It's also, um, a, 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 this was two years ago. So, I mean, we could use really anything before any restrictions. So, I mean, we were even using like income levels, uh, location. Um, we could do any kind of interest. So anything that you like or or interested in on Facebook. I mean, that's a huge number of possible things that you might want to test on, which I guess comes back to what you were saying earlier. Uh, how do you explore a space that large of possible knobs you can turn? Yeah, I mean, we did we did the math of how many possible options would exist on Facebook. We got to 72 quadrillion. Like, there's absolutely no way that you're going to be able to find exactly the right perfect segment without having help from a computer testing out those different groups. So you then presumably started prototyping a computer program to do exactly that. Like, what form did it start out in? So, I mean, this was even before, so be- before we were even prototyping out the newer algorithms, um, we, we were just doing the LTV predictions and the bidding models, and that was all running on my computer. It run once once a day in the morning when I woke up. Uh, so that was pretty scary. Um, but what ended up happening is that um, we would need to get a kind of data dumps from our customers. So they would up, they would need to send us CSVs of certain data, and then we would need to store that somewhere. Um, and so my customers were actually the ones who were like, "Can can I just go to a website and?" you know, put the CSV into a file somewhere and just have it do its thing instead of needing to talk to you all the time. Right. So back up here at this point, how much coding experience have you done? I mean, I I know people with PhDs in maths who've done everything from uh, enormous amounts, no more than me, to I don't touch a computer, I just use pencil (laughs) and paper. How much of this stuff had you done by this point? Uh, I did a little bit. I mean, I think I I knew the basics. I'd taken kind of like an intro to comp sci class in college and um you know that was like a while ago uh so i I had kind of like the basic sense of it Uh, i was very good at googling (laughs) that is is the first skill that anybody learning to code has to find a competent operation of google and stack overflow (laughs) yes 
So, I mean, I think I knew some of the basics and at this point, like I wrote out all of the, all of the functions to do the, the modeling. Um, so, I, I mean, I think I had experience in, in the like math modeling side of programming. Um, I would say I had zero experience on the web app development side. Um, Which is a bit of a problem when you have a customer making the eminently reasonable demand, okay, where do I upload these CSV files into some kind of automated process? Yes. Yeah. And so I was at, fir at first I was like, well, you know, maybe I should just like bite the bullet and just learn how to be a coder. I'm in San Francisco. There's like a bajillion boot camps. How hard can it be? Well, not to mention expensive, right? I mean, you know, do you have a year and umpty ump thousand dollars or do you mm -hmm. have a thing to get built? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it was really like the time that, that was scary to me because like I had these people right now who were asking for something like you can't be sitting around waiting to build out a prototype. And I didn't want to go to a dev studio because I didn't really know if I had a business yet. I mean, I just had, you know, two consulting contracts and like yeah that was that was great to start off with but that doesn't make it a business it just makes it you know me doing consulting for these two companies and at that point you know probably like the first piece of code you write is not going to be the perfect shining product that will carry you through um, to IPO right you you want the first <laughs> prototype and getting a dev studio to build that first thing oh, um, which will last just long enough for you to work out that you actually wanted something else uh, seems like a suboptimal use of time and money. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I've talked to, I don't even know how many different developer companies and the quotes that I got from these people were outrageous. I mean, it would be like sixty dollars to $100,000 to build a prototype web app when I had two customers and was just getting started. And that's just absolutely insane to assume that a startup even has a good enough idea that they're at a place where they're going to sink a hundred grand just into like testing this new concept. Or, or a sufficiently mm -hmm. polished idea, right? You know, it can be the world's greatest idea, but it's going to be three iterations away from anything anyone will pay for. And that's completely yeah, absolutely. normal. I mean, startups, it, like the name of the game in startups is pivoting and you're just going to keep making new ideas and like reiterating and reiterating and iterating some more until you really figure out what's going to be the thing that makes sense in the market. And that's normal. That's all very normal. Um, I can't name a single situation of like a company that didn't pivot uh, where it would have made sense for them to invest all of that money in a web app that they're just going to ditch. Uh, the other thing that seems odd about those astronomical quotes is like if you compare like where in this whole value chain you know the the clever bit the the bit where you have to search high and low for somebody who can do a thing uh the value creation in this is all happening in this piece of python script that takes the incredibly money critical decisions about where you're spending your advertising yep. money right you know, where the expense is and where the actual value creation is don't always yeah, really coincide. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, like our value is is in data science. It's in the models that, uh, that I created and coded and built out. So, I mean, hearing that, you know, it was going to cost what well, was a crazy amount of money at the time um, to build out something that's like not even the patentable part of our business, um, like, that that was just insane um and i think we like we bounced around with kind of a lot of different ways that like we could end up building this thing and mm -hmm. 
you know, like, who are we going to hire in order to do all of this? And at the end of the day, like, I, I mean, I think that that's why investors don't invest in companies that don't have technical founders, because it's just like way too much money to have to be paying somebody else to do this coding for you when you know that your business is going to change a whole handful of times before you end up finding the right thing that's going to give you product market fit. So obviously, we're here because uh you then went and uh, built something with Anvil mm-hmm. that ended up being the core of your product. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how that happened? Yes. So I Googled uh, drag and drop web app. And first I found Bubble, which I'd used before to build a mobile app. Um, and I was pretty sure that Bubble wasn't what I wanted because I'd used it before and I didn't think that it was going to be able to connect the back to, to my backend in Python in a way that was going to be meaningful. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't advanced enough. So I played around with it a bit. I went to like the support section I found like block spring and I was like, okay, maybe I can use block spring and like make this API. And then to ended up like meeting their CEO, um, because that's what happens when you are founding a company is like, you meet everybody's founders. Of Hi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and that really wasn't what I wanted either. And I was like, why is everything so hard? Um, and so finally, I googled Python drag and drop web app. Uh, and that's how I found Anvil. Okay, so you come and found yeah. us. Uh, yeah, what happens then? Do you want to like, talk us through the timeline? Yeah, so I, I found I found Anvil. I um, I think my first iteration of my product, I remember I showed it to the person who would end up being our third customer. And he was a CTO. And he was like, I can't believe you did this all on your own. Um, and I'll never forget it because it was literally four buttons. <laughs> and... <laughs> Yep. But again, right, that wasn't the hard part. That wasn't the value creation part. The clever part was happening on the back end. And that you presumably got working yeah. for weeks or months. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I just needed those four buttons because I needed people to upload CSVs. I needed them to uh, be able to build ads and upload images in the platform. Uh, and I needed them to basically configure their settings. Um, and so those four buttons was everything that I needed to send to my database, which then interacted with the Python code that I was still running on my personal computer. <laughs> wow. So, and how long did that take you from scratch to first building? Like, I don't even know, maybe maybe a week, like max. It, it was, I mean, I, I always say this and I, I mean, I'm really like, I'm not lying. Like Anvil changed the direction of my business. So, okay. So that was how you started. Presumably that was uh, quite some time ago. That was was two years ago. And over the last two years, you know, tell me a bit about what you're doing now. Uh, At this point, so two years later, we've managed more than $50 million in advertising spend on Facebook and Google. Uh, I was just saying earlier in this call, we are approved officially as marketing, as uh, software partners for Snapchat, Facebook, and Google. Uh, we have worked with more than 200 different ad accounts. Um, I mean, we've also, you know, in kind of like the Silicon Valley life sense, we've also, um, we've raised money, uh, we've raised $750,000, um, and that was completely off of the Anvil app. So you previously told me, uh, about the process of that pitching and, uh, trying to 
having to persuade potential investors that uh, this marketer or data scientist in front of them really could build this tool they were looking at. Yeah, all the time. I mean, it's it's I think it's a little ridiculous because um, you know I think it took it took me even a long time to like say the words I am the technical founder. And uh, I think there's just so much kind of nonsense that goes on in the valley about like what does it mean to be the technical person? And, you know, you have to like have this image of being this computer science engineer developer for years and years and be able to, you know, do every single coding challenge in every single language. And the reality is that nobody can do that. Um, Like, but also, like, you know, you were the person, you were standing in front of them, you were the person who had built this tool that was already bringing in however many thousand dollars a month, yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, you were profitable by the time you went mm-hmm. for investment, weren't yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, we were, it was, um, we hadn't even been around for a year, and we were already profitable. And, you know, I think, like, profitable can mean a, a lot of different things, and that doesn't mean necessarily that we were, like, you know, making millions of dollars within within our first year, but... Uh, it does mean that we were able to like live and afford to exist in San Francisco and, and like pay ourselves to be able to afford our mortgage. Um, and, uh, and not everybody can say that. Um, it, and the fact that I was like talking to investors who were still saying to me that I needed to find a technical co-founder in order for them to feel comfortable investing in us was just absurd. And they were saying this to the person who had built the web tool they were staring at mm-hmm. as they were having yeah, this conversation. Absolutely. Um, I, I very much believe that if you talk to any female founder who is the technical person who built the product, they would have a similar story. That is simultaneously really depressing and completely credible. Yeah, I think it is really depressing. I mean, it shouldn't happen. Like, we're, we're in 2018. But, you know, the reality is that it, it, happens, it happens all the time. And if you're uh, – there was even an article that just came out a few weeks ago in Medium that showed not only are women, like, less likely to found companies and significantly less likely to be the CEO, but they're also uh, getting significantly less equity – in the companies that they do found. So even when women are part of the founding team, they're getting less equity than the male founders. Given your contribution to Lightning AI, I sincerely hope that's not true for you. Oh, I will always have a majority share. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to hear it. Uh, As we kind of wrap up, uh, do you want to tell me, I don't know, tell me a story. What was like, what was the biggest surprise you've had from one of your customers or from the industry in general? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, I think my favorite, my, one of my favorite stories, uh, actually was, um, it it was last year. It was almost exactly a year ago. So in the U S we have, uh, we have black Friday, which is the Friday after Thanksgiving. And it's basically when there's like a bajillion Christmas sales, um, that are just starting and people like go crazy on both internet shopping and shopping, uh, in, in stores. Um, and so one of the customers, we just started working with them and they were like, okay, we've been stocking up for months and months. We have all of these products. We're going to be ready for the Christmas season. Uh, and so they came to us so that we would, you know, help them out with advertising. And um, this was really their first foray into doing any advertising at all. Uh, so we turned on their, they turned on their ads. It was Black Friday and they sold out that day. Nice. I mean, it was it was so it was so funny. They like called us and they were like, "Turn everything off." 
It was it was a really great feeling. I mean, we ended up like we changed this company's business because that was the that was the day that it proved to them that they really had something that was going to end up becoming uh, becoming a business where they could have product market fit and where they could acquire customers for a cost that was low enough where they were going to end up making money. So um, I think that all of those things were were really incredible, and it was really cool that we got to be a part of that. One final question: In one sentence, why Anvil? Oh my goodness, I have so many ideas. <laughs> um, okay, my one sentence. Uh, you shouldn't hire an engineering team until you have product market fit. And Anvil is the best option when you are testing out your business. Wow, thank you. Uh, that said, we should probably mention for the listener's benefit that you still run your production platform on Anvil. <laughs> yeah, our our platform is still running on Anvil. Um, so thank you very much for still existing as well. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, it's on account of customers like you that we do. Colette Nataf, founder of Lightning AI, thank you very much. You've been listening to Stories from the Workshop. I've been Meredith Luff. And for more interviews of interesting developers doing interesting things, subscribe on iTunes or check us out on the Anvil blog. See you next time.